Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris. Thanks for listening. So this has been, without a doubt, one of the busiest times I've had, and I can't tell you when. Just a lot of running, um, trying to get ready for the holidays, which are coming up on us. But not only the running, uh, with just family commitments and different things like that, but also with business. Um, those of you that aren't familiar with it, I, I'm fortunate enough to have interest in several different businesses. And so um, it definitely keeps me on my toes. But it also takes a lot of time away from doing uh, other things that I really enjoy, such as shooting and this podcast, um, writing the blogs that I enjoy uh, doing, and uh, frankly, like I said, just shooting and getting out and enjoying uh, time at the range or time in the woods, uh, time with my family. So it's uh, it's been a little longer than it should have been for this episode to finally get published, but I'm glad it's coming out. For those of you that have already listened to previous episodes, you've heard me talk about the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. If you haven't checked this out yet, please go over to facebook.com slash Rimfire Tactical. If you do a search on Facebook for Rimfire Tactical, make sure you find the right group. This would be the group, uh, which is well over 4,000 members at this point. Um, <laughs> I had someone ask me the other day, they said, hey, we can't seem to see anything. And it turns out, I guess somebody uh, went and created a, another group with the Rimfire Tactical name. And uh, I think they had like 20 members. But, you know, that's one of those things. Um, there's always going to be some somebody that's trying to um, either take advantage of uh, maybe someone not figuring out the difference or uh, trying to, I guess, skim some of the business. Or in this case, there's not really any business because the website hasn't even launched yet. But really just, um, you know, people trying to take advantage of the work someone else has already put in. But with all that being said, wow. You know, you guys have just amazed me. Uh, the number of downloads, the number of subscribers just continues to grow. And I am humbled beyond belief that uh, you guys actually have chosen to take your valuable time and listen to the ramblings of me. So thank you so much for that. Like I said before, it is just, it's an honor. It's humbling. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun for me to do this podcast, to get to talk to the people uh, I talk with, and just be able to spend time around or with, even though it's a lot of it is in a virtual world through Facebook and um, just the different groups. But at the same time, um, because we interact with each other so much, you know, I feel like I've gotten to know quite a bit about some of the folks in those groups and I feel like if they were closer to me or I was closer to them, they would definitely be people I would not only want to shoot with, but hang out with and have a lot of fun. So it's just a neat, neat thing to, to be able to do this and be a part of it. As we're getting closer into the holiday season, and by the time you hear this, it may even be uh, after Thanksgiving. So if it's after Thanksgiving, we will have already experienced um, let's see, Black Friday, and what do they call it on the, the following week? I think it's like Cyber Monday or something like that. And if you've been around shooting for any length of time at all, 
you know, these are um, typically the times when we're able to find some tremendous deals on gear. And that's everything from rifles and handguns to ammunition, scopes, bipods, stocks, chassis. If you, you name it, if it's part of the shooting sports, somebody's offering a deal on it. I know um, in the past I've seen uh, huge sales from MDT chassis, who uh, I think they make some great chassis. And no doubt if they do that this year, I'll be picking up at least one for um, a limited edition rifle that I have. And I want to shoot the rifle, but I don't necessarily want to use the stock that it's in. Um, McMillan stocks, they typically do a pretty good sale every year on Black Friday or, or Cyber Monday. Lots of optics deals will be out, no, no question there. Um, for those that aren't familiar with it, especially if, you're, if you like Nikon scopes, they made the announcement um, that they are, or at least it's rumored that they've made the announcement. And by the time you hear this, I'm sure it will be uh, common knowledge, but it's been uh, talked about for some time that they were getting out of the sport optics arena, meaning they would no longer make rifle scopes. So I can see a ton of uh, bargains on some of their optics. Um, SWFA, uh, their scopes are always, rec you know, ones that are, get recommended a lot for a ton of elevation and uh, they track very well. They typically do a pretty big Black Friday, Cyber Monday type sale. Um, I expect a lot of companies this year to have some specials on ammunition. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about shooting rimfires that makes it a unique and at times uh, quite a bit more challenging maybe than, than rim or than centerfires is when you when you're shooting a rimfire, especially 22 long rifles, which is what we talk about the most here, we're all somewhat familiar with the fact that uh, 22 rifles are, and handguns are unique, but specifically with the rifles, they're very um, ammo specific. And when I say that, you know, it's not just that the rifle shoots one brand of ammo well, um, but in that particular brand of ammo, it may shoot a certain lot of ammo much better than another lot. And for those of us that shoot a fairly high volume, um, or you have a lot of different 22s that you're uh, trying to buy ammunition for, one of the goals is to find whatever ammunition your rifle likes and really stock up on that. And, in this particular case, if, if you figure out that you know your rifle likes a certain lot of Ely Match Ammo or 10X or Ely Club, or maybe it's Lapua Center X or SK Standard or SK Biathlon, whatever it happens to be, this would be a great time to try to take advantage of some sales that no doubt will be happening. But you know more than anything, uh, what I have seen, well, what I've done and several people that I know as well, whenever they've had an opportunity with, a, you know, the types of uh, sales or events that you know, are very similar to a Black Friday or Cyber Monday, that's typically the time where I've seen uh, opportunities to buy, 
not just a brick or two, but in some cases the prices are so good that it, it makes sense to buy a case or two if you can. And certainly understand that's not always doable. Uh, it's not doable for a lot of folks um, on the money side. It's also not doable sometimes just to have that much um, ammunition. You may not have storage. You may not have places to put it. Uh, in some places around the world, um, you know, from what I understand, um, you may even be limited on how much ammunition you can have. Um, certainly hope that doesn't happen, um, you know, in the United States. But, you know, I, I mentioned all these things just as different ways to try to help, you know, find some value, find some opportunities for you to be able to um, make some some good purchases that will save you some money and have the ammunition or have that new stock or chassis or that new scope that you've been looking for to be able to pick it up at a great call, um, a great price and, you know, be able to go and, and do more with better equipment possibly than what you already have. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I try my best to, to help or encourage people to do because as I've mentioned time and time again, I have been there and done that. Um, I've, I've been there with shooting ammunition that didn't shoot particularly well in my rifle, but it's all I had or it's all I could afford and trying to make do with it. And in some cases doing okay. In other cases, man, the results were just terrible and frustrating and, um, Frankly, it got me to a point where I was just so discouraged that I didn't even want to continue to shoot. And, you know, later on, being able to go back and pick up that same rifle and find better ammunition that shot well in it or to have a scope that would maybe it was it had a higher magnification so I could see the target better. Um, in a lot of cases, it wasn't about the magnification. It was more about, uh, the ability to trust the scope and know that if I dialed it up for elevation, that it was actually going to move the crosshair, the amount of distance that I had actually dialed the crosshair and not some random number. Um, it also meant that if I dialed the elevation, um, if I went up in elevation, that the crosshairs were actually going to go up instead of going up and to the left or up and to the right. Uh, can't tell you how many times I've experienced that. Um, most of the time with some uh, lower priced uh, optics, but I had a time or two where um, I had some some higher um, higher priced optics, uh, some that I have traditionally had great success with. But I've had a couple of times where even those didn't track properly and had to be sent back. And, and you know, the way that I found out they didn't track properly was that they, uh, <laughs> I was either spending a lot of ammunition trying to figure out why my groups were shifting or uh, they stopped tracking properly in the middle of a match and it would cost me um, a match. And whether or not I was going to win that match, who knows, but definitely I placed a lot worse because of it. So you know, it's all those different things, those experiences you've heard me talk about in the past. Those are the reasons specifically why I am such a big proponent of buying the best 
quality that you can buy in your rifles, in your handguns, your optics, and the ammunition. I've heard and seen the phrase buy once, cry once a thousand times if I've read it once, if I've heard it once. The reality is it frustrated me greatly for so long because, man, no matter how bad I wanted to, I couldn't buy it once. I was crying because I couldn't buy it once. Um, you know, but ultimately, I would have people tell me, Chris, you just need to save your money. You need to put off buying that rifle, even if it takes another three or four months or six months or whatever. You need to put off buying that rifle until you can get something better. Don't try to to get the results out of a what I was always told was a substandard rifle with or an optic. Don't try, don't expect to get the results out of your $200 rifle that someone's getting out of a $2,000 rifle. Don't expect to get the same results out of a $100 scope as someone's getting out of a $1,000 scope. And don't expect, um, you know, some bulk ammo that was a couple cents per round. Don't expect the same results out of that ammo as someone's going to get out of ammo that's 20 cents per round. And, you know, in the reality, while there are some exceptions to the rule, and I've been fortunate and thankful to own a few lower cost rifles that performed very well, I've also owned a lot that just did not. They didn't perform as, as I thought they should. They didn't perform as the manufacturer said they should. Um, and, you know, I wrote, I, I've chalked those up now as, you know, learning experiences. Um, and it's, it's the reason why myself and so many people that are some of the, um, the experienced shooters that you see and hear from a lot in the Rimfire Tactical Group, it's why you hear us say things like buy once, cry once, buy the best that you can afford, um, hold off buying for another month or two until you can afford to get X rifle, whatever it happens to be. It's not because uh, we're trying to be elitists. It's not like we're trying to, I had someone um, mention something about uh, people showing off, love to show off the expensive rifles and the expensive scopes and stuff like that. Man, it's not that. Um, I mean, there's a pride of ownership. Absolutely, there is. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of quality. I don't care what it is. I like high-quality um, watches. I like high-quality rifles, scopes, um, cars. I like high-quality things. That doesn't mean I can afford all of them, but I appreciate quality, and I especially I, I appreciate craftsmanship, and I appreciate having the opportunity to use products that are designed for performance, not necessarily designed for a price point. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about there, I, I really put the emphasis on the performance. Um, I don't, I don't get nearly as hung up on how fancy something looks or how slick something looks 
that doesn't mean nearly as much to me. I mean, it's important, but it doesn't mean nearly as much to me as something that performs very, very well. And, you know, a case in point that for a long time, uh, it's so funny, I've been a big fan of the CZ Rimfire Rifles for years and years. And my first CZ rifle is a 452 Varmint in 17 HMR. At the time, the 17 caliber had just come out. A couple of local stores were carrying the CZ rifles. And I was hearing people talk about how great they shot. But, you know, they had this goofy backwards safety. And the bolt throw was really high. And I come from the old school mentality of you want that scope. um, You want that thing as close as you can get it to the barrel without touching. And the problem I ran into with some of the scopes that I would want to put on the CZ was the, um, the eyepiece was a little the large size or maybe the, the magnification ring was, and the bolt would hit the eyepiece or hit the mag ring. Um, so, you know, those, those things, um, I didn't really appreciate those on the CZ, but I still, I want to give it a shot. My 452 varmint and 17 HMR is, it's no beauty queen at all. It has um, a very basic looking, uh, I think it's a birch stock. Um, it's no real figure to it. Um, I've always referred to it as the fence post because it's kind of what it reminds me of. But that rifle, it shoots like a house on fire. It is just a great shooting rifle. And so um, even though I didn't like the magazine or the, um, I didn't like the, the, the backward safety, not a fan of the high bolt throw. Um, like I said, the wood looks terrible, but at the same time, it performs very, very well. And throughout the years, I've had a lot of 17 HMRs, um, still have several, but that 452, it's still right there. It's, you know, it's not one that's going anywhere because it performs and I know I can count on it. And I know that if the weather's kind of nasty and I don't want to take a different rifle out, whether it's a Cooper or an Anschutz or um, a Valkortsen or whatever the case may be, I know that little 452, I can, I can put it in the, on the four wheeler with me. I can put it in the side by side. I can throw it in the truck and know that it's going to, it's going to do its job if I do mine. But anyway, enough about that kind of got off on a tangent. Really what I wanted to touch base on and talk about today were just a couple of things that have come up recently uh, on the Rimfire Tactical uh, Facebook group. Some different questions have come up and, you know, I thought this might be a good time, especially with the the sales coming up. Um, A question that seems to, it seems to come up over and over, albeit with different rifles that are being talked about, it's uh, it's always some version of what trigger should I get? And perfect example, ta- I was just talking about the CZ. The consensus among most of the people that I know 
personally and that I've seen talk online, uh, people who have CZ rifles, one of the first modifications they make, and some cases, a lot of cases actually, it's about the only modification, is to try to get a better trigger pull. Um, the, at least with my experience with the CZs that I own, the trigger pull is typically a little heavy. Uh, there's some over travel, some creep to it. Um, a couple of them have even been kind of gritty. And there's lots of ways that people approach getting a better trigger pull with their CZs. Some do something as simple as going to the hardware store and buying a different spring. Others go a more extreme example and remove the factory trigger completely and replace it with one from Timney or, or um, another trigger manufacturer. Same thing happens with um, you know some of the other rifles. Onshoots is a great example. The 5018 trigger from Onshoots is, or in my experience anyway, is about as good of a factory trigger as I've ever experienced anywhere. And I've seen lots of people who would purchase an Onshoots rifle, maybe a 64 action rifle instead of a 54. Um, some of the 54s will come with that uh, 5018 trigger. Um, you know, those that don't come with it, I've seen a lot of people buy uh, a 5018 trigger to put in their, their rifle just to get a little bit better, a little bit lower um, poundage, whatever the case may be. When people talk about customizing their 1022 or making upgrades to it, the triggers always seem to come up. Should I buy a Kid? Should I buy a Valkorsen? Should I buy a Ruger BX? Should I send my factory trigger group to someone like Brimstone and have them work it over? Should I just buy um, a trigger and sear kit? What, what should I do? And there's, there's no right or wrong answer. There's just really, what are you comfortable doing yourself? What are you comfortable spending money on? How much are you comfortable spending? And what are you trying to do with it? I mean, those are the questions that come up every single time. Um, you know, when people ask these questions about what trigger should I get? Well, what are you trying to do? Are you looking for something that you can use for hunting? Are you using something? Are you going to try to shoot some bench rest with it? Uh, you know, because what you are going to do with that rifle really determines what trigger you want to use. Um, outside of the 1022s, another one that comes up more and more, um, well, probably as much as anything, um, is talking about the Voodoos. The Voodoo rifles, you know, they, they have so many things going for them. And one of those is the ability to use whatever trigger you would like it's built for a model 700 remington you can use it so lots of people will use timony triggers others like myself are big fans of the trigger techs while others may go with a bix and andy or one of a dozen different types of triggers outside of those again it all comes down what are we trying to do are we trying to shoot matches with it are we trying to hunt with it? Are we trying to get it down so low that it's more or less like a bench rest trigger? Because you can do that with lots of different um, brands. It just comes down to what do you like? 
Do you like a curved trigger shoe? Do you like a straight trigger shoe or a trigger blade as, as a lot of people call them now? There's just an endless uh, number of things that you can talk about. And I know, I think it was last year or the year before, uh, I know several folks that just got incredible pricing on some different triggers for their rifles and at, through the Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which I think I've even heard it uh, referred to as Cyber Week now. So, you know, some great opportunities there. Now, one thing in particular about triggers, I had somebody ask me this uh, at the last match that I shot. Actually, it wasn't even a match. It was just I was at the range and there was a few other guys there. We all happened to be shooting some 22s and and it became one of those things of, hey, I wonder if I can hit that that mound of dirt out there at 300 yards. And hey, there's a rock over there um, at 286 yards. Who can hit that? And really, that's that's my favorite type of, of shooting is just going out and goofing off and and um, you know doing things like that. But one of the guys was having a terrible time. He had a great rifle, good scope. Uh, you know, shooting pretty good ammo, but really just not shooting very well. And, you know, I was watching him and his form looked okay. Um, finally, the one thing that I, I noticed was that as he was pulling the trigger, he was, you could see his entire hand tensing up. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, what's, what's going on with that? I mean, you're squeezing the, the grip, uh, the rifle he was shooting is it's, um, well, let's tell you, it was a Ruger Precision Rimfire, and um, those are like lots of other guns. Some people love them, some people not so much. Um, but I said, what's going on with this? And he said, man, he said, the trigger in this thing is just so bad. And he said, I, I, I'm, you know, I have to focus on what I'm doing so much to try to get a, a smooth pull on this thing. And um, he said, I actually, I think I'm actually forgetting what I'm doing as far as keeping the crosshairs on the target. And uh, he, he let several of us sit down and shoot his rifle. And he's right. It was terrible. I mean, it was a heavy, gritty trigger. And, um, you know, you can not, not to say that that's an excuse and that you can't overcome a bad trigger, but it's a whole lot easier to shoot better with a good trigger than it is with one that's heavy and gritty and uh, just makes things difficult. And, you know, what's interesting about it is he really didn't had, well, he said he had never thought about upgrading the trigger. And as we talked, he started looking on his phone, Googling, you know, some of the options for replacement triggers. And then, you know, basically going, my gosh, look how expensive these triggers are. I mean, I, you know, I could, I could buy two triggers for what I paid for this rifle. I don't want to pay that much for a trigger, you know, just to fix a gun, um, that, you know, it should have had a better trigger. That's his words. Well, you know, we talked about it for a bit and he, and you know, if that's the case and that's the way you feel, totally understand it. But if you like other features and everything else about the rifle, then in my opinion, it's money well spent. And, you know, as we talked more about it, he, he was just like, well, I don't understand what I'm going to get with a better trigger. And so we started talking about the different processes of shooting and what a better trigger 
will do for you when you're shooting. And I heard a podcast not long ago. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder his name. Uh, it's the Long Range Pursuit podcast. Uh, the two co-hosts are Phil Vallejo, who is a uh, one of the top uh, PRS shooters in, in the country. And I hope I don't mess up his last name. I believe it's Kalen Wojcik. Um, and Kalen uh, owns a, a company. I, I know it used to be called, I believe, Kalinsky Training. But I think they maybe has possibly changed the name of it now to maybe Modern Sniper. I think that's right. But both guys are... Very, very accomplished shooters. Uh, if I remember correctly, I believe they are both former um, Marine uh, Scout snipers. And uh, their podcast is one of the best out there, especially if you like a long-range shooting. So I can highly recommend it. But Kalen used a term that I have used several times since then when talking with people. And I was talking about um, being in the moment and focusing on shooting, but I'm also applying it towards the trigger as well. Um, when we talk about triggers, one of the things that we talk about is the lock time. And that's one of the big things with the 5018 trigger from Anschutz is, and I, I can't quote all the statistics. Um, I'm kind of like um, <laughs> Frank Galley and a lot of other people. I feel like if I, if I try to remember one more thing, then I'm going to lose something else because there's only so much storage capacity there. But um, the 5018 is supposed to have one of the fastest lock times. And what that lock time does is from the time that you apply pressure to the trigger, it trips the sear, drops the hammer, hammer hits the firing pin, firing pin, or and I say hammer, I realize not most, you know, most of the rifles now don't have a hammer, but from the time that uh, the firing pin gets tripped and it, and it actually impacts the rim of the round, that's the lock time. And the faster the lock time, the less time you have to negatively influence the direction that round is going. The faster from the time that you pull the trigger until that firing pin strikes the rim and ignites the powder and sends that bullet down the barrel, the better it is. And the faster that you can get that bullet out the end of the barrel, the less chance you have of negatively impacting the direction it goes. And that's a big proponent or a big reason for having a high quality trigger is to not only get a better um, trigger pull weight, but to have a faster lock time as well. And think of it this way if you're not sure what I'm talking about. Think of uh, if you've ever sat down yourself or you've watched somebody shooting and they sort of uh, tug on the trigger. Like instead of using their trigger finger at a 90 degree angle and just simply pressing straight back, instead of doing that, it's almost like they use their the web of their hand with their thumb and they put that at the rear of the, the pistol grip or the rear of the, uh, the, the grip area on the stock and then they almost like pull back with their entire hand. Or in some cases, uh, I've watched shooters before take the, the tip of their trigger finger and put it in the front of the trigger guard. And then when they're ready to shoot, instead of bringing their finger back and you know pushing it up against the edge of the trigger and then pressing straight back, 
it's almost like they slap the trigger with their finger and then just, you know, slap back very quickly. Anytime that you do those things, um, pulling with your, the entire hand, slapping the trigger, um, I've watched other people that will put the tip of their finger on the side of the trigger. Um, so if you're a right-handed shooter, you take the tip of your uh, trigger finger and you would push that against the, the right-hand side of the trigger blade. And then when you're ready to pull the trigger, basically what they do is they're pushing to the left side of the rifle while they're pushing the trigger back. And with when you're doing that, what happens is you're actually influencing the rifle because it's against your shoulder. So you're pushing the rifle, the end of the rifle, um, the barrel, you're pushing that to the left. Uh, if you happen to be one of those shooters I was talking about before, where you're pulling the entire uh, hand back when, when you're pulling the trigger, or if you're putting that trigger finger up against the, the front of the trigger guard and you're jerking it back and just slapping the trigger, when you do those things, you're going to influence the rifle by pulling it to the right. And while it, all, it might be a very, very, very minute distance that you do it, depending on how far you're shooting, that will have an in, impact on your scores, on your groups. And, you know, depending on how you like to have fun, that can, that can have a, a major negative impact on um, how much fun you're having. I mean, it's been my experience. It's more fun to hit the things I shoot at than it is to miss. And it seems most of the people I know feel the same way. So knowing that the lock time is a major uh, part of getting a high quality trigger, Kalen made a comment in one of the, their episodes talking about the mental lock time of a shooter and how that can play in. And I'd never heard that phrase used before, but the mental lock time, I think, is something that works in conjunction with the lock time of the trigger. When Kalen was describing the mental lock time, and I'm sure I'm not going to do it justice. Like I said, their podcast is fantastic. I would highly recommend if you haven't listened to it before, definitely check it out. But Kalen described the mental lock time is basically the moment that you, as you're looking through the scope, you see the target and you see it and realize you're ready to shoot, it's that mental lock time from the moment you make the recognition with your eye to your brain sends that signal to your trigger finger to pull the trigger. And in the context that they were talking about on the podcast, they were talking about it specifically as it relates to um, shooting movers. But that also applies to shooting not just a target that's moving in the left to right or right to left, uh, or maybe it's moving towards you or away from you, but that can also apply to targets that are spinning. That can apply to targets that are, you're shooting at distance in the wind. Suddenly you see the wind drop. You have a, a small window of time before another gust may come through. So you need to be ready to make that happen. And anything that you can do to speed up your process, to me, that's that's well worth the price of admission. And so, you know, as I've talked about all these different aspects of the triggers and, you know, lock time and, and talking about what Kalen talked about with the, the mental lock time, 
you know, those are just a few different things that um, I see as being very beneficial in my shooting. As I've said multiple times before in previous episodes, you know, I, I've never claimed to be the best shot. Um, there are definitely uh, shooters out there that can literally shoot circles around me. But I'm a student of the game. I'm a student of shooting, and particularly with rimfires. And so I'm always looking to see what's out there that I can use to help me be better, to help me be a better shooter, to help me be a better um, friend or coach, if you will, to to some different uh, shooters that I occasionally go out with uh, to the range. You know, they're looking for some some feedback. They're looking for someone to basically help them figure out if the reasons they're not shooting better, if it has something to do with the rifle, the scope, the ammunition, the shooter, you know, all these components, they all, they all make up that shooting system. And, you know, those are just several different things that, uh, that I've tried to, to pay a lot of attention to. So, you know, when Black Friday and, and Cyber Week comes up, you know, if you've got a trigger that isn't performing that well, maybe you should look at, at picking up a replacement. Um, and if it's not a replacement trigger, maybe it's replacing some of the parts. You know, we talked in a previous episode about um, building, um, was it building up at 1022 action, kind of building your own versus buying a, you know, a factory gun from a kid or ball courts or something like that. You know, you don't have to buy the entire trigger group. You can buy the different pieces and replace what you want and keep factory parts that you want. Um, you can do that with lots of different uh, types of triggers. But that might be a good thing to look into. Another thing that I have purchased in the past and will definitely be taking a look at this year as well is to look at different scope mount options. I mean, having a great scope is, is huge, but if you have a great scope and you have a great rifle, but your mounting solution isn't very good, you may not get the results you're looking for. And, you know, in the 22 world, you guys have heard me say it in every episode, you know, one of my greatest frustrations is when people, people justify buying inexpensive or lower quality equipment because it's just a 22 when in actuality for most people they shoot those rim fires those 22s they shoot those more than they do any other rifle they own and so it, from my point of view it makes sense to spend money on the equipment on those because that's where you're getting the most trigger time that's where you're getting the most feedback for the shooting that you're doing that's where you can figure out without breaking the bank you can figure out where the breakdowns are in your shooting. And it, this, this goes into everything. I'm not just talking about how 22 ammunition is cheaper than centerfire ammunition. I'm talking about the guys that shoot. Maybe they're shooting a PRS uh, you know, series. Maybe they're out shooting uh, even bench rest. I know a local club, uh, to me, They've started the, I think it's called UBR, Ultimate Benchrest matches. And 
uh, if I remember correctly, a lot of the guys in PRS, I hear a lot of people talk about shooting either a six millimeter Creedmoor or maybe a six millimeter Dasher or, or six by 47 or maybe even a 6.5 Creedmoor or 6.5 by 47. But, uh, you know, the thing about those, those rifles, they're awesome calibers. They're fast, they're flat, but from everything that I've seen and heard, the accuracy starts to deteriorate, especially on those six millimeters. A lot of times it starts to deteriorate at around 2,000 rounds, 1,800, maybe 2,000 rounds down that barrel. Well, if you're going to shoot a full season of matches and you're also going to practice you could easily go through one or two barrels per year at what, let's say three to 500 for a barrel, another three to 500 to have that, that barrel fitted. Um, you know, now you're talking a grand or two each year just to keep those barrels in play. Well, you could take that couple grand and spend on a good rimfire, a good scope, and a whole lot of, of ammunition. And yeah, you're not going to be able to work your, your dope the same way at distance, but you're going to get trigger time. You're going to get a lot of feedback to figure out when you've got a clean trigger press, when you have your shooting form is good and everything's as it should be. You're going to get that feedback. And while you might be shooting that six millimeter at a thousand yards, maybe you're shooting that, that 22 at 200 or 300, you're going to get feedback. You're going to be able to use that rimfire as a trainer and still be able to learn from it, stay in practice, and most importantly, save that barrel for the matches where you really, you know, that's what you bought it for. You know, don't go out and burn up a barrel just to practice. And I understand that's just the cost of the game. Totally get it. And I'm not bashing anybody that does it. I've got a couple of Creedmoors myself. And um, truth be known, by the time you hear this, there'll probably be a six millimeter Creedmoor um, on its way to me as well. But it's just a simple way to get that trigger time, get some training in, but keep from spending quite as much money. Now, the scope mounts, which is where I was going before I got sidetracked. So let's say you have a great rifle. And this could be a CZ, an Anschutz, a Voodoo, a Kid, whatever. And you've got a good scope. And maybe you've got a, uh, maybe it's one of the Night Force, SHVs, or a Vortex, PST, or any of the, the tactical scopes that are out there that tend to be what a lot of us shoot. Not because we're trying to be overly tactical or tactical, but we're using those because they have exposed target turrets. They're typically built very, very well. So they, we know that if we dial 3.6 mils of elevation, that we're going to get 3.6 mils of, of movement or, you know, MOA, if you're an MOA shooter. But we know that those scopes should track really well. Now, obviously, you still need to test it yourself, 
But those scopes tend to be heavy scopes. A lot of them, almost all of them actually are 30 millimeter tubes um, for the main body, while uh, the more and more of them are going to either a 34 or a 35 millimeter tube. In addition to that, nearly all of them are going to be at least a 50 millimeter objective with quite a few now at 56 millimeter, or even uh, you can go Cytron and I think um, maybe IOR and a couple other companies make a, a 60 millimeter uh, option. So these are big, heavy scopes. I'm talking 32, 33, 36 ounce scopes. So if you think about it, you may have a rifle that weighs eight or nine pounds, and now you've got a two pound optic on top of it. So if you have that two pound optic sitting on top of your rifle, does it really make sense to have a $20 set of rings that you picked up from big box stores, you know, Walmart, wherever, that don't even have bases that screw into the action of the rifle. Because in this day and age, it's pretty difficult to find a rifle, especially ones that are newly manufactured. It's really difficult to find a rifle that doesn't have um, the action, the top of it, drilled and tapped for you to use scope bases. Now, most of the rimfire rifles that are out there still have a dovetail, a groove, on the top of the action where you can use the uh, dovetail rings that basically are just friction holding um, the rings in place. But I see people all the time who are fighting with their scope, fighting with the accuracy. And as they finally diagnose everything, they figure out that they're using a scope that has a, a small, um, screw on each side, basically screwed in um, as tight as they could get it, which in some cases is actually too tight and it strips it out, but it's screwing in to hold the scope in place um, just because it's got the little lips on either side of the ring at the bottom that are trying to grip the dovetail on the scope. And I've watched some guys with these scopes that they'll take that rifle when they're not on the line shooting and they go and they set it in the rack at the rear of the range. But when they set it down, you know, they're not babying it. And I mean, they're just, you know, maybe getting an inch from the bottom and they're, you know, letting it go to bounce off the, the recoil pad off the, the bottom of the rack or whatever. But if you go back and look on some of these rifles, I've actually been able to see where a little bit of the blooming is gone from the dovetail because that scope has shifted. Maybe it's shifted a sixteenth of an inch or an eighth of an inch back towards the rear, uh, you know, towards the, the buttstock. And that does a number of things. One being, you know, we always look for consistent cheek weld whenever we're shooting your rifle. You want your cheek in the same place on the stock each and every time because you want that consistent sight picture. Well, if the scope is moving closer to your eye over time, you're now either having to move your head back towards the rear of the buttstock, or you're having to um, basically not have a full field of view through that scope anymore. And if, if you don't have that full field of view, 
maybe your head's just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right and you're moving it around. And what you may not realize is as you move your head around, those crosshairs tend to move just a little bit too. And so where you aren't directly lined up the way you should have been and were originally, now your groups are opening up, your point of impact's changing because your scope has moved. So instead of relying on those dovetails, wouldn't it make sense to pick up a, a set of bases? They could be something inexpensive. You don't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars. A simple set of weaver bases that are loctited in place with even some expense, inexpensive weaver style rings, in my opinion, are much better than dovetails. At the same time, if you're going to go that route, why not look and see if you can find a rail, a one-piece rail, that is made for your rifle? There's tons of companies that make them. EGW is one company. DI Products is another. Area 419. There are dozens of companies that make scope rails for rimfire rifles, be it Anschutz, CZs, Voodoo's, Kids, you know, 1022s. Marlins, Savages, there's a really good chance you're going to be able to find somebody who makes a one-piece scope rail for your rifle. And while you're looking at it, maybe you want to shoot a little farther. So maybe you, instead of getting just a flat rail, maybe you get one that has 10 MOA or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 MOA of elevation or cant in it, which will allow you to use more of the elevation in your scope because it allows you to zero the scope near the bottom end of the uh, elevation range instead of in the middle because if you zero your rifle at 50 yards and maybe your scope has say um, what's a common one 60 MOA uh, if your scope has 60 MOA of elevation in it and when you zero that scope at 50 yards and you suddenly realize that you only have maybe 20 or 25 MOA of elevation left, you just lost 35 to 40 MOA that's all below 50 yards. Well, depending on if you're not going to shoot below 50 yards very often, you've just really, um, you've really made your scope less than half as useful as it could have been. But if you had taken, or if you'll go and put a 20 or a 30 MOA rail on your scope, or I mean, I'm sorry, on your rifle, now you'll pick up a lot of additional elevation on the scope that you can use for shooting those longer distances. Black Friday is a great time to pick up deals on scopes, on rings, on bases, rails, triggers. <laughs> the list just goes on and on and on. Oh, someone's calling. So with all that being said, here's the thing I want you to focus on more than anything else. I want you to think of it in terms of what kind of shooting are you looking to do and in what type of shooting or what type of results do you expect to get when you're shooting? If your goal is to go out and shoot, 
you know, just random targets here and there, as I've got several friends that like to do. They literally go out with the expectation that they go to the range. Most of the time, it, they don't they don't take target paper. Instead, they actually take, um, well, my personal favorite is they'll take shotgun holes or, um, let's see, what else? Um, playing cards, matchsticks, um, little lollipops, things like that. They like to shoot things like that or possibly shoot at uh, rocks or things like that, uh, dirt clods in the, uh, on the, in the berms. That's what they look forward to doing. Well, if you're shooting things like that, you know, you might not need quite the precision as somebody who's going out trying to shoot a quarter inch, know your limits target at 25 or 50 yards. You know, you may not need that level of precision, so you could absolutely get away with shooting some ammunition that maybe doesn't group quite as tightly in your rifle, but it is um, maybe a fourth the cost of some of the, the higher quality ammunition. You could get away with a scope that has a very thick crosshair or a center dot. It's kind of a large dot. Because you're not going to need quite that level of precision. But at the same time, if, you've, if you're going to go all in and maybe only have one or two rifles, then maybe it's worth going a little farther, picking up a better, higher quality scope, one that gives you a little bit better magnification, a little bit more elevation adjustment, a little clearer. You know, maybe it's worth spending a few more dollars or taking advantage of a great sale to do that. Maybe it's worth um, putting off buying that that rifle that's, uh, you know, an inexpensive rifle but looks good, looks cool. Um, maybe it's worth putting off buying that for another month or two. And instead of paying 250 or maybe $300 or something like that, Maybe it's you know something to put off for a couple of months, and maybe you get that next level up on on the rifle. Maybe it's you know that's five or six hundred. It's not about you know the the cost of the equipment. It's just about the quality. That's anytime you ever hear me talk about it, you're going to hear me talk about the quality and the precision. So those are the things that um, you know I I personally look at. Those are the things that I focus on when in talking about um, the justifications to buy certain rifles or scopes or ammunition, things like that. I'm looking big picture. I'm also looking long term and thinking, how can I get the most bang for the buck with what I'm looking to buy? So with all that being said, I know I went on and on talking about the triggers and the scopes and the different things like that, but I hope by the time you're hearing this, like I said, you've, you've had uh, probably at this point, you'll, you'll have already had Thanksgiving. So I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you've been able to take some advantage of some, some sales. You know, if you're looking to upgrade some gear or buy new gear in general, and as always, you know, 
nothing in the world, as far as shooting goes, nothing will take the place of actual trigger time. Trigger time behind the rifle will make you a better shooter. And that doesn't always mean that you're out of the range shooting. It is a big part of it, absolutely. But being able to, to spend time behind the trigger, and that can be dry firing. A lot of the top shooters in the country say that they spend more time dry firing than they ever do shooting. And that can be a huge benefit to you. And it's also a great way to take advantage of getting to learn a new trigger. So if you do happen to pick up a new trigger over the holidays, spend some time dry firing. Now make sure, obviously, you know, a little safety notice here, make sure your rifle is unloaded, double check it, triple check it, do all those things. Um, if you don't have a Voodoo, uh, I, I would highly recommend that you use snap caps. Some manufacturers say that their rifles are okay to dry fire, while others do not. Uh, outside of a Voodoo, I go out of my way to not dry fire any of them. Um, I've used lots of things as snap caps over the years. I've used uh, fired cases um, that have been shot through that rifle. I've also used uh, the snap caps that you can buy. And I've also used drywall anchors. I believe it's a number two drywall anchor. They're yellow. They all tend to work really well. Um, what I will tell you is that if you're going, when, when you dry fire, um, make it a point. Don't just snap the trigger, work the bolt up and down to reset the firing pin and snap again. Focus on what you're doing. Focus on learning that trigger, whether it's a single stage or a two stage. Focus on learning that trigger, learning what the trigger feels right, like right before the firing pin drops. Learn it to the point that you know that trigger and you know what's about to happen instead of being that guy who's slapping the trigger so he never really knows when it's going to go off. Don't be that guy that's at the range or in a match and has, um, some people call them accidental discharge. I tend to call them negligent discharge. Um, you know, they, they, they're the guy that says, or guy or girl that says, oh my gosh, I don't know what happened. It just went off. Well, you know, it didn't just go off. If it just went off when you closed the bolt, you adjusted the trigger too light. Yeah, you don't have enough serial engagement. That's on you. More often than not, though, it did, the trigger didn't drop, or the, the firing pin didn't drop because the bolt was closed. The firing pin dropped because you had it too light. You stuck your finger in the trigger guard, or maybe you just tapped the trigger accidentally, 